A conversation can change the way you think, how you feel, or even what you believe. So, no matter what the conversation's about, it's not for nothing. Hello, and welcome to Not For Nothing. I'm Kyle Leon Henderson, and today I have two guests. I'm excited because I don't usually have two guests. Of course, you all know Sarah Cooper. She's here a lot, and she's here again. Uh, And to that point, her pronouns are she and her, because we also have another guest. You remember our second guest from last summer. We did a whole series of podcasts uh, for Pride Month. So, without any further ado, welcome to the show, Alex Kim Yon. Pronouns they, them, theirs. Hello. Hello. I would like to point out, for my own delight, I was in episode 69. Were you really? <laughs> yeah. I don't nice. remember. I didn't remember the numbers. And- That's- I went back and checked today. <laughs> and Alex cameoed in my birthday episode. Yes. Oh, I did. Yes. Did. There was also that. Yes. I did. Yeah. <laughs> And Alex's sister, Jesse, and your mama, Jaja, was there. So I'm glad we're having this reunion. Um, and I'm also delighted because a lot of times th- there's several different types of shows I do. Uh, some are sort of life updates and some are news events. Like last week's episode was about Ukraine. And I wanted to just create a space to, to just, you know... I I said it on the show last week. I don't have a lot of listeners. Um, It's not a huge show, but it is my platform, and I wanted it to go on the record that this platform supports Ukraine and their space as the underdog, and we stand with them because they're getting obliterated by Russia. Um, So I support peace and harmony on this planet as much as possible. But this week is a different type of episode where we pick a topic, and then we dig it in dig into it and tear it apart and i'm delighted because we have differing opinions on this topic (laughs) that makes me excited because we don't usually i don't have a lot of discourse and i don't think there'll be any discourse it'll be agree to disagree or maybe we'll change each other's opinions but we're talking about young adult novels um this sort of started with you two. So yeah. is the topic young adult novels for adults or just young adult novels? <laughs> so this came from because Alex works at a library and my coworker had this cute sticker on their cup that said, when in doubt, go to the library. And it was like spacey. And I was like, Alex loves space and libraries. Oh my God, where did you get that? And they were like, oh, I don't know, but I think it was on Etsy. So I typed in when in doubt, go to the library on Etsy. And all this Harry Potter stuff came up. I never read Harry Potter. I don't care. And you will not shame me. I'm never reading Harry Potter. Um, But I was like, why is this all Harry Potter? And then it turned out it was a quote, I guess, by Hermione at some point. And I just messaged Alex on Marco Polo. I was like, oh, my God, I almost bought you this present. But it's a Harry Potter reference. And then you'd be like, why did you buy me this Harry Potter reference? (laughs) And it just kind of became this discussion from there about the obsession with Harry Potter and like young adult literature and how I guess without speaking for anybody else, how we don't really quite get it. (laughs) So from that, I can deduce Alex, you are not a fan of Harry Potter books, movies, etc. I, I'm not a huge fan of Harry Potter. No, as far as the media property itself, I'm pretty ambivalent to it. I read it more or less because I had to, because everyone else is reading it. Um, I watched the movies because they, again, ubiquitous. I couldn't not mm-hmm. watch them, but um, I have stronger feelings about Mayhaps, the proprietor of the media property, rather than the media property itself. Um, well, yeah, that that is that that's something I'm really excited to dig into. Um, but before we move on from that, the movies. Did you enjoy the movies since you watched them? Because it's uh, that's my biggest heartache is when you waste time with something you don't enjoy. They were all right. Um, you know, I we spent Christmas rewatching them all because one of my sisters wanted to. And yeah, you know, once they're on, I'll sit and I'll commit and I'll watch them. But mm-hmm. I don't go out of my way to watch them. It's not like it's not like you have to be kicking and screaming to watch them. They're just maybe not your favorite. So yeah, exactly. Um, I, they're fine. Well, do we want to start with 
um, what you said, the proprietor. Like that's a that's a place to start, I guess, because that sort of derailed. Everything. I was on. I was actually because I was at Universal Studios on Friday, and I was in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, and we were in line for um, the Forbidden Journey, which is the ride at Universal that is at Hollywood it's a campus. Um, is that the stupid one where we ride the brooms and it made me nauseous? Did you do that? I forgot if you, I forgot you did that. Yeah. Ethan can't ride that one either because of the brooms, but that's what it is. No, nope, um, hated it. But we were talking about it and I was like, it's so weird that everybody just really still loves Harry Potter, even though pretty collectively all the people in my life that are my closest friends are like, that girl is, she's trash. <laughs> and of course we're talking about JK Rowling or Rowling, Rowling, Bowling, Rowling rolling so yeah mm. i'll let you have the floor alex on that one um well i feel like that's sort of a two-part sort of situation right because like the endurance of harry potter obviously doesn't have anything to do with jk rowling if it did it would have died years ago right um and there's also like always the ongoing conversation of how much of the artist do you maintain when interpreting mm-hmm. the art so and you know that's probably a whole different conversation there mm-hmm. um because here's another thing about harry potter the books uh again they're okay um i don't i wouldn't say that they're like spectacularly written um as far as the actual craft i think jk rowling's world building is solid specifically mm-hmm. from like a british eurocentric standpoint and that's important to keep in mind, especially for folks who are not necessarily of your centric ancestry. Mm-hmm. But I think the appeal of Harry Potter and what really fascinates me about Harry Potter and about young adult literature when we were growing up generally versus young adult literature now is one, the whole like house system that she developed kicked off a whole subgenre of young adult novels that involves some like personality testing and allowed the readers to sort of figure out who they would be within this world by virtue of this like Mm -hmm. personality test thing. Right. And the other is that the genre was very big on like the every man protagonist at the time. Like when we were growing up, Harry Potter, listen, I think we can all agree that Harry Potter is no one's favorite character. Nobody's no, No. everyone who loves the franchise (laughs) would not name Harry Potter as their favorite character because he's the milk toast self-insert character <laughs> where you get to put yourself in the story through Harry Potter. Right. And interact with all these other characters who are much more interesting and much more fleshed out. Well, and to that point, uh, I, I, I am a, a fan of Sex in the City and there is a point in that. I know Sarah just rolled her eyes. No one can see you roll your eyes. You've got to groan on, on a podcast. They, they can hear me. <laughs> They can um, hear but the thing is, Harry Potter and Carrie Bradshaw, to me, they're not just milk toast. They're actually kind of problematic. Like they're they're like, you're making really crummy decisions for your friends. And so I agree with you there. Harry Potter in itself is not everybody's favorite. I I guess in my perspective, because I refuse to read the books because here's my thing. Y'all can all shame me. The moment anything is so shoved down your throat as, oh my God, you need to read this. Oh my God, you need to watch this. Oh my God, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in the universe. I refuse on principle. I refuse (laughs) to read Harry Potter on principle because everyone kept telling me how it was the greatest thing that's ever happened into the literary world. And I was like, nope. At 10 years old, nope, not doing it. Same reason took me forever to watch Mean Girls. I that's exactly why I did read it was because someone said I should and they were trusted. I was never in like I think I'm too old. I was not Harry Potter is not my age, I don't think. I It came out cuz I have it all here. It came out in 97 but didn't come to the US until October 98. Oh, so I was 10 years old or 10 and 11 years old. So I should yeah. I should it's exactly my age then. Because yeah. I was I was eleven when it came to the U.S. and eleven is when you go to Hogwarts. So I am the exact age of Harry Potter. 
So your um, argument just collapsed. It did just collapse. Well, actually, and it, that's to my point. I wasn't in that world. I didn't read a whole lot when I was a kid. Like, I came to reading Fast and Furious as an adult. Like, when I turned 18, that's when I kind of picked up Harry Potter. Um, so to your point, Alex, the the houses, the Gryffindor and Slytherin and Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw, was that a sort of a mechanism in other young adult novels that kind of got picked up and and used as well sarah looks like she, she wants to say something <laughs> i the i was trying to think the only other thing i can think of immediately was um hunger games because they had the different the, zoning um, neighborhoods or whatever it was hunger districts. Games was one it was the um, district 13 districts um, yeah. yeah hunger games was a little different because i mean like the districts were more of a like an economic thing rather than a personality thing that's true don't really versus, go into yeah the personality of yeah versus the franchise um divergent by veronica roth mm. which did adapt um like i think it's a four category sort of thing um and there have been like similar other like i mean even going back as far as scott westerfeld's um uglies you know there's been young adult literature that categorizes books although that was more physical that was less personality based i'm trying to think of other ones that did like divergent and harry potter and stuff and i know they're out there they probably didn't get as big i know divergent got big at least partly because it followed it was sort of the marriage of the hunger or the harry potter houses and the hunger games aesthetic um and took kind of those two heavy hitters and mashed them into one <laughs> series yeah um, well and i kind of feel like it didn't occur to me i'm not saying i disagree with you on the the personality tropes of which house are you in? I, it just never occurred to me because I'm gay and gay people always do that. They, they watch golden girls and they say, are you a Dorothy or a Blanche? And they watch sex in the city. Oh, I'm such a Carrie. Oh, she's such a Miranda. And you know, so I I've always been part of a group that sort of exponentially more severely tries to find camaraderie with fictional characters. And we'd love to label ourselves. This is who we are kind of thing. So it didn't occur to me that that's, a thing that wasn't sure. always done. And, I mean, that might have been part of the appeal of Harry Potter was that it was kind of the first breakaway young adult series that created this mechanism. Because I can't think of any series before that that had a mechanism like that that allowed everybody to sort of insert themselves. Mm -hmm. And in like a large, in like a broader way than picking a specific character, right? Well, like mm -hmm. the four characters are, if they're done well, um, of like sex in the city right i think yeah. i do think like to her credit carrie bradshaw is her own character to an extent right. she is still a little milk toasty but uh, oh for sure yeah you know but the houses let you still like be yourself or even like mash up right like i mean eventually folks develop like the griffin puff and the slither claw and all this other stuff mm -hmm. which sort of you know and and we're able to transcend some of these boundaries as well and i think that was a huge appeal to folks, especially our generation. Well, yeah, and I was money. again at Universal this week and my, I ran into a friend and he's a DJ and he bought a, a Ravenclaw robe and had his DJ name uh, embroidered on it. And I was like, and when you said it allows the reader to sort of step into this world more, I guess, in a more robust way, it's true. Like you can go to Orlando or to Hollywood here and, and go to the world where Harry Potter lives, get your robes, get your wand, ride the broom. You can drink some butterbeer. Like it's kind of culty <laughs> when it's, you think about it. Yeah. I think the, like the weird thing is, is like how things become such a phenomenon like that. Like how did Harry Potter become, this extreme versus like the series I read growing up that I in middle school that I have all of them still the daughters of the moon, or I know Alex read throwing it, throwing it out there, all the animorphs. Mm. So how did, like, how do we get, like, how does it get there? Like how did Harry yeah. Potter become for whatever reason? Because like one of the things I first realized is, is it because more parents are going to push their feminine or female presenting children to read male centered books than you would have, the opposite the reversal because like i you don't typically see like 
hordes of masculine people masculine or male presenting people carrying around twilight like oh my god it's twilight and that's why but you see it with harry potter that's why jk rowling goes by jk instead of joanne because the publisher wanted her to sort of lose her her femininity and which is that kind of me saying that out loud kind of takes us to the topic of what she's in problematic for but yeah they wanted boy readers to think that she might be a boy so she goes by jk because her name is joanne she's always been joanne she went by joanne her whole life until she published a book and they were like boys won't read a book by girls so you're gonna go by jk well it worked (laughs) it did well yeah it did work and i mean you know that does lead into her decision to use a fully masculine pen name for Mm -hmm. her adult mystery series um but that's what is it robert galbraith or something yeah robert galbraith um who does a pen no uh sorry i was just gonna say i'm the the pen name itself has ties to um extreme radical feminism so (laughs) like exclusionary radical feminism do pen names work if we know who has who have them like i mean yeah i mean there are plenty of authors yeah, there are plenty of authors who have, quote, pen names to just sort of different. It's mostly to distance yourself from mm-hmm. what you've already written. It's less to like, right? Because then if, if she wrote Harry Potter as J.K. Rowling, theoretically, she could have written these mystery books as Joanne Rowling, and it mm-hmm. still would have distanced True. herself from her previous franchise. She made a conscious decision not to do that. and Well... And even Nora Roberts, who is, writes romance, she does suspense novels, and it says Nora Roberts writing as J.R. What is it, Rob? J.D. Rob. So it's and pen names are weird and interesting in that way. Um, but but that I want to I want to kind of just dive right into J.K. Rowling and her what do they call it? Extreme exclusionary radical feminism. Um, trans exclusion. Yeah, turf is trans exclusionary radical feminism. Gotcha. Turf trans exclusion. I want to just kind of educate the listeners. Turf, trans exclusionary radical feminism. That's what that is. Okay, so there you go. Jot that down, listeners. Um, but continue, Alex. Um, I was gonna say it may also how people turfs don't necessarily always call themselves turfs. By the way, gender critical or gender. Um, Oh, what's the other word they like to use? Gender critical is another one. Gender critical feminist or whatever implies a certain amount of <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> anti-transness. Yeah, um, and that's. I mean, I I don't know what's left to say about J.K. Rowling that other people haven't said about her um, specifically anti like trans misogynist specifically her trans misogynist mm-hmm. rhetoric mm-hmm. um i and mean it, she is transphobic generally but a lot of it has has been centered around trans women well and the, i, I want to just tell the listeners go look it up google jk rowling because i don't want to i don't want to recount everything she did i'm not trying to hide and not talk about what she did it's just it's a lot and i don't want to delve into it but the first thing she did, it sort of started it t- to me, and, and I am, will admit that I'm wrong about it the second someone tells me, it seemed a little ignorant but innocent. Like, it seemed like, oh, you just don't understand the new terminology that we're, because it was about people who menstruate rather than women. And that, that was sort of, and she kept saying women menstruate. And so I didn't know she was transphobic so to people who were uneducated about her trans views um it was just like oh she's just an old lady who doesn't can't keep up with the terms we're using and then she kind of just kept doubling down until finally she's she was just shy of saying i hate trans people um is that pretty accurate from both of y'all's perspective yeah that's i mean in a nutshell (laughs) I was trying to look up a timeline to see when it started. There's a it lot was of about articles. Two of- years ago. I mean, it was. It's fairly recently when she made that comment about women rather than people who who menstruate, and and like most every time she spoke up, it was a time that no one ever asked for her opinion in the first place. 
and so it's like why because the 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 women who menstruate was an ad, or people who menstruate was an advertisement for something about menstruation it wasn't even like a deep article or something I, f- I feel like or it might have been an article about you know something but it was just never it had nothing to do with her and she's like hey here's my opinion um so to that point i i think we can all agree that that's bad we don't like that jk rowling doesn't love our our brothers and sisters and non-binary trans you know siblings in our community but why are we still so in love with Harry Potter as a society when nobody will like um, Lady Gaga and Celine Dion have taken their name and their their profit off of songs they did with R. Kelly? No one will listen to R. Kelly. Uh, all reruns of the Cosby Show have been canceled, but yet we're just still going along the happy train with Harry Potter. With that, and is there? a reason that she gets a pass and others don't. I'll give you two guesses and you only need one. Black or woman? <laughs> black and white? It's a, it's, it's a black and white matter. There's no gray area. I, I think there, well, I think that a lot of times women, especially white women will get a pass and I can, they yeah. do the whole, you know, the white women tears, the naive white woman, the whole, that mentality. Also, do we give is is there a pass because of who the victim was as well? The, Absolutely. Bill Cosby was raping women and m- mostly white women and uh R Kelly was raping underage women and the victim of JK Rowling's uh misfortunes are trans people. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that one, um, especially in the U.S., I can't speak to like what her fandom in the U.K. is like, but I do know that the U.K. has a transphobia problem. So, I mean, she is platformed there. We platform, I mean, like we in the U.S. platform somebody with very violent opinions for four years, whether, you know, yeah. and she is is platform there and will probably always be a, a darling in the anglo speaking world um mm-hmm. because all she she's just exercising her right to free speech she's not actually hurting anybody you know she's entitled to her opinions they're just opinions right um and until someone know, kills uh, a trans person because until right to be a trans uh, person which is actively happening i mean it's yeah. like trans like any rhetoric doesn't happen in a vacuum and violence isn't limited to, you know, one person smacking another over the head. Like, so I, and that, I mean, that speaks to like, why do people still go to Chick-fil-A? Why do people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's like, it's well, you know, they had have their opinions. Um, and sure. Yeah. She can have her opinion. That's, that's fine. Um, but I, I do think there are conversations to be had about how much platforming we should be giving mm-hmm. people. Well, and that makes me wonder, what is your end game here with speaking out against trans people? Because everybody has opinions and everyone on planet Earth has the option of keeping it to yourself. Um, you know, and I think we all have sort of biases in our biases biases in our in our sort of mental mindset and i know and you know i'll freely admit i won't say what they are because i would have to actually think about them but i'm sure there's things that i see and i'm just like well whatever you know and i keep it in my head because to what end do i say it out loud i just hurt other people or i just i mean there's nothing to gain from opinions sometimes so what is it that she's trying to gain is she trying to send trans people back into the darkness and into the closet and into their you know corners so that they don't live a full life i don't know i think with the internet age we give people too much credit with motives and not just having an instant gratification of spewing your opinions at everything you see Mm -hmm. she's all this most of what she's doing is on twitter which literally is a retweet and type your opinion and post. 
Yeah. Now, for someone like me who has five followers, no one gets to see my opinions or the bullshit I post, even though I'm hysterical and people should follow me. Mm-hmm. But J.K. Rowling <laughs> has millions of followers. Same with when Donald Trump was on there, millions of followers. So then you're just regurgitating into the masses what you're seeing. And there's no there's no second thought to it because you're just typing it out. Like before the internet age, she may not, we may never, never known how she felt. Because, I mean, are they going to interview her every time there's an article about people who menstruate? No. Right. <laughs> like. And I think it's, well, I think it's worth noting too, just because I don't agree with her doesn't mean I think she's any less sincere about her opinions and viewpoints and beliefs than I am about mine. Mm-hmm. I think she genuinely believes and TERFs generally genuinely subscribe to the TERF rhetoric because they do believe that they are being threatened in some way by trans women. And I, you know, and there's a lot going on in media and politics to sort of exacerbate that and lead to continued radicalization. Like, I mean, it's just like any other radicalization, right with like the whole incel thing on the other end of the spectrum right um when people are scared and vulnerable especially in tumultuous times like now it gets much easier to radicalize people Mm -hmm. to into feeling like they can have community that that they can be around people who get them and they can feel empowered in some way and i think a a lot of, of turf rhetoric does that for folks who don't otherwise understand like oh, to fully subscribe to this means I have to, you know, throw some of my folks under the bus. Well, (laughs) and what you said, you do genuinely believe she is sincere about her feelings. And that just kind of occurred to me because in that original discussion about menstruation, when people tried to tell her that, no, you know, people did respond in kind to her. Because people like me didn't know, I mean, if she ever said anything anti-trans before that moment, I didn't know, and a lot of people didn't know. And so people were like, oh, you wrote my favorite children's book. Let me help you. This is the this is the new terminology we're using, and her rebuttal to them were, um, but my femininity was so key to my success in life. And everybody's like, nobody said it wasn't. Like, you responded as if this were a personal attack on you, and nobody ever said anything about that. So that what you said, that they feel genuinely threatened by trans women, it just occurred to me. I'm like, oh, she, there's a there's a disconnect there somewhere. She did feel very threatened by trans women from that post and from people trying to educate her. It was a full um, threat in her perception. So, so I want to pivot now because we're, we're kind of, we kind of sussed that out a little bit. Um, is it problematic for people to still read Harry Potter or is that something that we do separate art from artists and we should be doing that more, even with music we love, TV shows we love, et cetera, chicken sandwiches that we love, et cetera. <laughs> I think it's a gray area because like most of our generation that loved Harry Potter already has owns the books and the movies and all that. So it's not like burning them is going to change anything because they, she already has your money, which is how I feel about most people who fight back at things when things don't go their way. If you already own the thing, the publisher has been paid. The author has been paid. You burning it is not going to hurt anybody. I bought all Um, my Harry Potter books at a secondhand store. That's the other option. She got no money. Support a a small business. Buy it from somebody else. Um, Or steal it online. The Iliad. That was a joke. joke. Don't steal it online. Um, Support (laughs) your local library. (laughs) I was going to say, I was very unironically going to say, like, listen, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, you have public libraries. You're already paying tax dollars (laughs) Mm -hmm. to fund your public library. Um, you probably know somebody who already has them. And if you don't, you can find somebody. Um, right. and torrenting is a thing. <laughs> uh, like, and you know, and 
And that's probably not great for a librarian to say, and I own that, but like at the end of the day, um, you know, you can, I think there are ways to get around platforming somebody and still, you know, partake in their media. Like I wouldn't, I would never suggest anybody like go buy a movie ticket to go see Fantastic Beasts three or four, Mm -hmm. whichever one's coming out. Um, Especially after what they did to Johnny Depp. I mean, even now, it's like, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't watch them in theaters anymore. I wait for them to come out on DVD so I can get it from the library. I don't even stream them on Disney Plus if I can avoid it. Because I do think I have some responsibility to really keep in mind, like, who I'm platforming and into whose pocket I'm putting money based on how I uh, consume media. Um, you know, I don't necessarily, uh, first of all, it's unrealistic to think that people could just wholesale, uh, boycott Harry Potter. That's not going to happen. Um, that's like trying to boycott Disney at this point. It can't happen. It's they're Mm -hmm. everywhere, but also, um, well, overlooking the fact that also, I don't think people actually feel as strongly as they think they do about trans women and like and de- deplatforming JK Rowling you know like mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily and I'm not trying to like shame anybody for that because like media is hugely important as just as a concept especially when you're a young adult um I mean we were all shaped by media I have a Sailor Moon tattoo I got a Sailor Moon tattoo when I was 30 like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was a media that shaped me as a child. So I, there's no discounting that Harry Potter was hugely influential for a lot, a whole generation of people. Mm-hmm. I uh, think it did get people reading. Like it, people, it was, it sort of started the Harry Potter. And then I remember as I got in through college, Harry Potter and then the Hunger Games. And then all of a sudden it was Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm like, oh, we've, we've grown up. Don't forget the girl with the dragon tattoo. The girl with the dragon tattoo made a huge influence. People were obsessed with reading. And I remember because like, but and I will say people sometimes are obsessed with reading problematic books because I remember one of the books that everybody wanted when I was working at the bookstore in UAB was The Help, which is a white savior novel. Um, But that being said, people are reading and, uh, you know, sometimes you have to go through your, your spaces. You have to read the problematic books to learn more, know more, do more. So... Reading is fundamental. I I would, I yeah. Well, here's my caveat to that: is reading is great. Thoughtfully engaging with your media is probably a step mm-hmm. above that. <laughs> like, and that's not to say that you can't just like s- sit down and read, you know, your genre fiction and feel good about it. But maybe also like, th- what I've come up against now is like. There's, I feel like there's a difference between somebody who reads Harry Potter and is like, I know J.K. Rowling kind of sucks, but this media was really formative, and somebody who's still into Harry Potter and is a J.K. Rowling apologist. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, I think at some point, like, we have to be in, to some amount accountable for how we engage with media. Um, even, you know, there's, I'm not saying people should be ashamed of the media they engage with, not at all, just... Just be aware think, of it yeah. and where it's coming from in the context. Well, That's and I want to I want to get your opinion on this um, because this this may be a different a place where we do have some discourse, some some differing opinions. Because a lot of people out in LA, especially, and I'm sure all over the world too, but I'm I live in LA, and that's why I'm speaking about that. Is that people are like boycotting Amazon? fully they're like do not put money in the pockets of these rich 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 billionaires and to that i say and i I, i'm thoughtful about it and i understand and i actually agree however i will say i do shop amazon often and and you know very often and very thoughtfully and that is because what helps me live my life is getting things cheap easy and fast and like it if if I have to have something that I need for a project or whatever right away and Amazon is the way that I'm going to get it for the cheapest price, like I'm on a budget and I also on a time crunch because I always say 
money and time are the two currencies that dictate our lives the most. And so I said, I wholeheartedly support taking down Jeff Bezos of the world. But at the same time, I have to keep living my life. And so I make that thoughtful choice that I do um, support and vote in a way that will hold people that are that rich accountable. Um, but I still have to do it. And, but then again, I don't eat Chick-fil-A. Um, so there is a, you know, for me, I'm thoughtful about, does it actually serve a purpose for me? Chick-fil-A doesn't serve a purpose for me because there's other places to eat. There's sometimes nowhere you can get things cheaper than Amazon. And sometimes nowhere you can get things quicker than Amazon. Should I feel how should I feel from your opinion about that? Like, I don't want to guilty. Take it. (laughs) You should feel guilty. Um, Well, this is where the, the whole no ethical consumption under capitalism comes in. That doesn't mean like it's feasible for we, the every man to boycott everything. We can't. Yeah. Six companies own every food brand in the nation. If you try, like, I've been trying to boycott Nestle, and then everyone's like, okay, boycott Kellogg's. I'm like, well, then I can't eat anything. Right. Um, <laughs> so, and with Amazon specifically, like, is, and right, these other, what I think of as mega corporations, right? Amazon, Disney. Coca-Cola. Um, Google and Coca-Cola. All of those, right? Facebook like, you can't function necessarily. I think if you, if you have like a viable alternative you know like we should try our best to find viable alternatives Mm -hmm. but like you said sometimes the viable alternative isn't there i know folks especially like disabled folks who can't just get up and go to a farmer's market or even to walmart which honestly isn't much better than amazon to get the thing they need cheap and fast like they rely on services such as amazon Mm -hmm. those aren't the people i'm talking about when i'm talking about uh divesting you know, um, the yeah, the people I'm talking about, like, I don't rely on Amazon. I haven't bought anything on Amazon in years um, because I have the privilege of a car. I have the privilege of um, living in a place, like in a city. I'm not out in the rural bump up nowhere where my only option is to order online or drive three hours um, to get something simple. You know, I, I have a lot of privilege that allows me to live without Amazon. And at the end of the day, we as individuals can only do so much, you know, like even if we as individuals stop reading that problematic author or watching those uh, movies produced by that one company or whatever, like ultimately, like, like you said, like there's the voting and supporting and other things we need to be doing collectively to really see the changes we need to see because a few people boycotting Amazon, like Jeff Bezos doesn't give a shit. Right. Everyone could boycott Amazon tomorrow and he's still going to have more money than all of us will have in our collective lifetimes ever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's other collective action we really need to take along with these individual decisions that may or may not, obviously. And it's ultimately like, I recognize that my decision to boycott Amazon is a personal decision. It's not one that I would ever demand other people make because Mm -hmm. I know like, you got to live your life and we're not the ones who are creating this problem. Like we who are trying to survive are not the ones creating yeah. the, the, the wealth discrepancy. Like, <laughs> so it's not on us necessarily to fix it. Right. Um, but that being said, cause, um, and I'm glad you, you brought it up like that. So for people who do still read Harry Potter, um, I'll, I'll say, I don't really, I don't know. Maybe I do agree with you now that you, say that because you're like it's not really real well written um i really like it and i think that maybe the reason i do like it is because it is so easy um and it's just so it's sort of a mind mind meld of just it it lets you kind of you know it's almost like watching the real housewives it's it's easy to consume it's not something that takes a lot of of brain matter to do but i do think it is sort of intricate it's more intricate than say the real housewives i mean she has created this world and you know it is a world that is interesting and nuanced at times with you know backstory and this and that so 
Um, I would like to sort of transition to your thoughts on adults, the more we age, continuously reading YA novels. I think the first, I was going to say, the first thing that we have to talk about is that um, YA novels is not a genre. It's not? I was looking, it's not actually a genre. It's a, a ca- age category for who the, oh. the target audience is. YA is not a genre. Harry Potter yeah. is a YA fantasy. So it's fantasy. Twilight, hot, Twilight is, a, I guess, a YA romance fantasy, but it's not technically huh. a genre. Yeah, yeah, technically it's not. <laughs> genre it's a tar- it's to. A, it's a target audience age. Yes. Ah, well, that's different because I thought it was and I'm just and there's some people who who only read I know a couple of people who only read YA young adult uh novels and I'm just like why why do we think that is that they love it probably because of I mean not trying to be disrespectful to anyone but it's an easy read yeah I mean, good lord, the biography I'm trying to read now, I'm about to put down just because I'm like, this is not an easy read, but it's to read before bed. This is horrible. I think like it's, <laughs> so. It's, it's like <laughs> it sometimes feels elegant too, in a way. In a way, sometimes they polish a young adult novel in in a way that that feels a little highbrow at times. I think. Um. Like I won't I won't speak too much on the genre thing because genre has different meanings depending on which context you're using it. Mm. I think you can say young adult genre because fiction and nonfiction can be considered genres as well. Um, but I think yeah, part of it is like adults read young adult literature for the same reason adults read Nora Roberts genre fiction, like genre literature or bodice ripper romances. Like mm. it's a genre they enjoy, and you know reading should bring you joy and who cares if you're not reading like freaking the classics or you know paradise whatever. lost yeah like you don't need to read the cla- the quote classics because which again has its own issues or you know all of the newest current event nonfiction, whatever like if reading about also i will say this about young adult literature by and large you can go into a young adult dystopia or a young adult sci-fi and more or less count on a happy-ish ending. Yeah. By and large, your main character will not die by the end of a young adult novel. <laughs> That's just a convention of of, of the, the genre, <laughs> I'm going to say. It. Um, by and large, your main character does not die. And, I mean, that can be a huge relief for a, in a story that is otherwise incredibly stressful to read. Because young adult literature, especially now, I mean... Well, when we were young adults too, but especially now, is really pushing the bounds of what teachers and educators and policymakers think a young adult should be reading. And we've been seeing that in like a rash of censorship censorship attempts across the nation mm-hmm. over the past few months. Well, the young adult literature is really trying to push against sort of the self insert happy ending sort of situation and really like bring to life like complex situations that real young adults are living through right now but something else that you'll probably never see and maybe correct me if i'm wrong on this but like young adult novels also will never get that note uh from their editor the writer will never say um we need sex so (laughs) you know what i mean like like you'll write this that's why stacy abrams wrote romance novels because she could write her the whatever she wanted as long as she had sex in it and that's what happened that she started doing it and she found success in that but nobody's gonna be like i need to see these two main i need her to have i need her to get get you know get well, into sure, a yeah, that's that's generally not the convention of the genre but you will see young adult novels that include sex because that's something Twilight. that adults contend with mm-hmm. um well i mean like i mean and also like sexual assault or coming yeah. out and dealing with sexuality generally and um you know young adult teen pregnancy like all of these things are like do appear but they tend to they tend to be less um 
titillating in young adult novels right. and more related to well, and I the guess coming of age journey. My point with that was you might have the freedom. I mean, this is just speculation. You might have the freedom to just write a story that you want to write without these pressures to also add something romantic or to also add something salacious. You can just tell the story because it's for, you know, teenagers. That's interesting. I don't Both know enough about publishing to know. Head shake. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know about publishing to know if it's like, oh, well, if you want to market this as a romance, it has to has, have sex in it. Or, oh, you wrote this thing that has sex in it. We have to market it as a romance. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's some gender, especially with romance, which is a whole other conversation, right, about why Nicholas Sparks doesn't end up in the romance section. But oh, all of him. these other women do, even though Nicholas Sparks writes romance. Okay? Mm-hmm. Fight me. Nicholas Sparks writes romance, and he should be shelved right there next to Danielle Steele. Um, he always kills his characters, though. Well, he writes very sad romances. So what can I tell you? Every time they die. <laughs> um, but you know, that, I mean, that's allowed to happen. Jojo Moyes wrote an incredibly sad, albeit probably problematic, romance with between you and me, so or me and you, whatever it is. I remember in middle school, sorry, I was just thinking about this and sex and young adult books is Alex's phase of buying all the lesbian and borrowing all the lesbian books from the library. Yes. Like the lesbian fiction books. I found every single <laughs> did one. What? Yes, I did. All of the I gay like- literature we had in the library, the school library, was- found it. And then I got a list and tried to find other Oh. Classic. So you queer bought life. them and then donated it to your high school no. library? No, they r- borrowed them from the high school library. Oh. In the middle school library. I thought you were like saying that they like funded the library. They were like, we're going to have That'd be really them. impressive. I will support you in doing that. Let's go buy books and fund the libraries. I love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, now I would. I would. I would. I mean, and you know, it's a credit, I think, to the age you grew up. In, it was the early 2000s that I was fortunate that I found anything <laughs> to read in the school library. Um, yeah. Well, before we wrap up, are there any YA books that you two are reading? Do you still read YA books as a sort of practice? No. Looking at my bookshelf. I don't know if it counts, but I really want to read the um the Wicked series in its entirety. I don't think it counts. It's it's pretty oh. adult oriented. There's somebody who has a penis growing off their back. That happens in all books, right? All the ones I've read. <laughs> that universal experience of <laughs> growing a penis <laughs> off your back. Um I don't read young adult regular regularly. Um I have read some young adult recently. I specifically read, um, oh shit, this title just left me. <laughs> if you want to Google it, I can edit this pause out. Um, I mean, we can keep it in, it's fine. Um, I'm so mad because I can remember the, the name of the sequel, <laughs> but I can't remember the name of the original book. The Hate You Give. Oh, my God. Smack me down. The Hate the You hate Give. You Angie go. Thomas. That um, was just came a movie, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. it was It was uh, just, which I haven't seen. But I did recently read The Hate You Give, and it was phenomenal. Um, and is sort of like, and that's what got me thinking too about young adult fiction when we were young adults versus young adult fiction now. Um, because the main character of The Hate You Give is like a very distinctive character mm. going through very distinctive contemporary uh, contemporary time. Um, but no, I can't say I read a whole lot. I do. <laughs> Anymore. <laughs> I do remember one book specifically I read in middle school that I really want to hunt down and find and reread because it's called Sweet Blood. <laughs> I have no idea who the author is. It's about a diabetic girl that found vampires. And like, nice. oh my gosh. And the reason, and I learned a lot about diabetes in that book because the way they found out she was diabetic is how she kept compulsively chugging orange juice. And that is all I remember. <laughs> I remember there was a lady named Joan Lowry Nixon. She wrote 
mystery and like suspense novels. And I got very into her in middle school. That I, I that just popped into me because I thought I don't I didn't read growing up a lot, but I did. I read Joan Lowry Nixon, who she's passed away since, but I liked some of her books. They all sort of was the same. Girl moves to a new town, ostracized, her house is haunted, and yada yada. So um, sometimes she has a parent who's a politician, and sometimes she just likes to run. But um, yeah, I re I'm rereading Harry Potter right now, and um, I say that, but everybody seems to be rereading Harry Potter right now. Um, I would reread The Hunger Games again. I don't think there's anything else I'm very much interested in at all that's YA. But mostly that's because I usually just read um, artist memoirs. <laughs> like I'm in the middle of Katie Couric's, uh, Katie Couric's biography right now that she just wrote. And Barack Obama's biography is next on my list. And I'm also going to be reading things like Sally Field's memoirs and... So I'm just, I'm a weird one. <laughs> um, I would say, like, I think I might be more inclined to start reading young adult literature now, um, especially in sort of the aftermath of the own voices movement. And I, uh, I'm because I'm seeing a lot of young adult literature coming through now that is finally featuring BIPOC characters, disabled characters. What was the characters. movement you mentioned? Own voices own like own own yeah voices. so there was i don't know i wouldn't say that it's still like a strong movement now but the idea was to feature stories written by people representing your own cultures right korean american authors writing about korean american experience yeah. and disabled authors writing about um and there was some backlash right about one tokenizing authors like forcing authors into these boxes <laughs> of you can only write from your own experience yada blah and not branch out of it and also like yeah. Um, it, it, so, you know, but out of that movement came a lot of great literature. Like it did end up spotlighting um, a lot of contemporary and adult literature that I'm really excited to right. eventually get into probably after I graduate. Well, and I think it, it, I can put a black character or a Korean character in a book I might be writing, but maybe not write. But it doesn't have to be so robust of attempting to represent that culture as well it can just be you know a character that i'm writing so that all my characters are not white gay men too you know but uh at least that's what it seems like you know people are sort of the like you said the backlash from the own movement people are like no you have to write from what you know and nothing else and um so i think that's great to read stories from the people who've actually lived them and, you know, stories from people who uh, have some experience being trans or, you know, immigrate immigrants or what have you. Do y'all have any recommendations for the listeners? It's been a long book time or otherwise. Um, I would say book, but you know, it's been a long time since I've asked for recommendations for the listeners. We used to do recommendations all the time. Um, but yeah, is there any books you want to recommend or, or books you want to encourage people to stop reading? <laughs> Put down the King James version, first of all. <laughs> that was a joke. That New revised standard version. That's what we use. <laughs> um, honestly, have not picked up and completed a book in a long time. I've picked up several and not finished them because I got bored. <laughs> Or distracted, what have you. Fair point. I started reading Siddhartha the other day. Yeah. And the book, the the intro to it from the particular copy that I got, like I was having trouble with it. Um, just because, I don't know, it just didn't speak to me. And then I sort of went back and read the intro or like, you know, it was the Barnes and Noble classics version. And it said, so I forget what it said, but it was like, this book was meant to be read out loud. And I started reading it to myself out loud, and it just, it, it's now, I was like, I can't yeah. read this silently. I have to read it out loud now. Nice. It just makes so much sense when I read it out loud. I hear myself reading it, and it's like, ah, I don't know how, I don't know how that works. That's probably a different podcast for a different time, why that works, <laughs> you know, whatever. But 
yeah, I read that, and I think that's it for me. Do you have any recommendations, Alex? Um, as far as, like, generally? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Get people reading. Everyone, please read The Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery. Um, it's my absolute favorite book of all time. I wept when I read it, and I'll probably weep when I read it again, but... Um, I love because my my favorite genre is nature writing. I really love, um, especially nature memoir sort of stuff. Oh, wow. And Cy Montgomery in particular is a really great nature writer. She writes a lot of kids nature books as well. So Soul of an Octopus, I would highly recommend. Um, I also recently read anything by Alison Bechtel, honestly. I just read The Secret to Human, Superhuman Strength by Alison Bechtel. Um, content warning, it is about her dealing with the pandemic. So if you don't feel like reading pandemic literature, <laughs> maybe maybe wait on that one. But it is solid. Otherwise, um, Are You My Mother by Alison Bechtel is life-changing. I loved A Fun Home. Yeah, Fun oh, Home is good. Um, oh, I, I've heard of Fun Home. Yeah. Fun Home, solid. Um, Are You My Mother, I thought was just earth shattering but to be fair i do have a stronger relationship with my mother than i do my dad so reading any kind of mother-daughter memoir is kind of like i feel like is hugely resonant to me um oh and finally last one crying in h mark um that one came out just like a year or two ago very recent by michelle zahner uh it's a memoir um and she she's the lead singer of Japanese Breakfast, so maybe this will fall right up your alley, <laughs> but maybe not because it is you, about. You've piqued my interest. Um, but it, it, you know, but again, content warning: it is about the death of the author's mother and her mm. and her navigating that. But, um, and I read that at a really weird time. I won't go into it, but I read it at a really weird time. Um, but I'm glad that I read it. I read it with my sister. We read it together, mm. and um, it was like really validating important um and i think it's an important book for a lot of folks to to read just generally but mm-hmm. um yeah those are the three most recent books i think i've read that i would well i'm gonna put all the books in the episode notes so if you're listening to this now scroll down and you'll find all of our recommendations there um yeah thanks Ooh. for the recommendations oh oh we got another one sorry um this is not something i read recently but it's talking about YA books. I want to make sure I get the title right. The book that stands out to me the most in all of YA books, when I read in school, I read whatever year we were in seventh grade, whatever year that was, it was like 2002. <laughs> um, Nothing But the Truth was so good. I had to read it for school and I'll be damned if our fucking semester didn't end before we got to discuss the book in class. I've oh never God. let it go. And I still remember that book. I well, love that book so much. Maybe we'll do a discussion on this show so we can let your little heart sing. Oh, I was going to say, I looked it up and I got the movie instead. I feel like that's probably not <laughs> oh it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, um, well, thanks for coming on today, both of you, for and to... Uh, suss out, you know, our thoughts and feelings about young adult novels and about uh, cancel culture for people who just won't love everybody, even though we tell them they they must. Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't have to. Just, just, just don't. You know, you be can, so awful about it. You can also not be a, a huge dick about. Yeah, just keep it to yourself. About putting your foot on people's necks. But um, I we should send J.K. Rowling some like material about trans men who get pregnant. That'll just blow her brains out. Ugh. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. That's people who menstruate. Come on. People who menstruate and just, just, just flood her with with you know unique stories about trans people living full lives that will make her just have nightmares. I'm sure. Or maybe it'll educate her. That would be great. But that you have to be willing to be educated is the problem. <laughs> true. Well, she tried to educate the world with her writings. Um, I do want to throw out too. Just we didn't even touch on like the anti-indigenous stuff and other stuff with her. 
So like, please know, I've got so much more I could say about JK Rowling. And I'm, we are not ignoring the, the, the anti-Indigenous sentiments of her US-centric whatever, whatever. Right. We, you know what? Well, listen, it's, maybe we need to have you back, Alex, and have a, just a full hour of the problems of J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's really it. Is I mean, the, after that, I just don't, at some point, you know, for your mental health, you just can't dig too deep. Like, right. I don't hate scroll. I don't go looking for receipts. But when you're on mm. Tumblr and Twitter and stuff, like, you can't help but find them. So. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, and also there was this beautiful girl who did a spoken word piece called A Letter to J.K. Rowling from Cho Chang about the character Cho Chang in Harry Potter. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And you should look it up and watch it on YouTube. (laughs) Okay. Well, I will put that in the notes as well. Um, Sarah, where can people follow you? Uh, You don't know? I'm not even going to attempt. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Instagram is... Sadie May 57 Twitter is at Sarah Cat Cooper. I'm funny. You should follow me on Twitter. You should follow Sarah on to on Twitter because she rips into everyone. I'll I'll see your tweet pop up and I'm like, oh, she's mad today. Sometimes uh, you gotta tell that idiot from Col- Colorado that she's a fucking idiot. Whatever mm-hmm. her name is. I can't remember. I agree. Alex, where can people follow you? <laughs> um on Instagram, you can find me at Han and Harmony. And I am on Twitter as well. Sarah's actually one of the few like people I know in real life that I follow on Twitter. I mostly follow librarians on Twitter. Same. Um, but I'm there at, I believe it's A. Kenyon. I'll put all of our uh, our handles in the notes as well. This is going to be a very active note nice. episode. Um, you can, of course, follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, um, which I don't use Twitter too much except to complain about companies who piss me off because their <laughs> customer service come get right back to me on Twitter and they like That's true. They they'll find you fast. They get they're like sneak into my DMs and tell me what happened. I'll be like, gladly I will. Um but yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kyle L. Henderson. And please rate and subscribe and review to this show because it helps people find us. And yeah. Thanks for coming on. Read a book and enjoy the springtime. It's spring today. So thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.